welcome you guys back to another episode of Quarantine Chats. This is a very special episode of Quarantine Chats because we got Lucas Weiss from the Quarantine Chronicles joining us. Lucas, how you doing? Steven, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me today. Hey, I got to apologize in advance for the name confusion. We're the Quarantine Chats, your Quarantine Chronicles. And then one of our hosts on another one of our shows, No BS and Wild Sports Talk, he has the Quarantine Network. Lots of quarantine names wow. popping around this time during the year. Wow. It just shows you that we're in pandemic times. So quarantine is very much part of our lives. But Hey, Steven, we have live sports coming back, uh, you know, these last few weeks. And this weekend, it's just going to be an avalanche, if you will, of lots of sports. So very exciting times ahead. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I want to give you a little bit of a chance to kind of market your brand, Quarantine Chronicles. What is it you guys do? And how have those interviews been, man? Well, look, listen, the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles, it's available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and it was an idea that was born out of this pandemic. I mean, there were no sports on my school program. I'm, I'm in a graduate sports journalism program here in Canada. That was delayed, and I think it was a perfect opportunity for me to create my own content, and I think there were a lot of people just wondering okay I mean what's the best way to create content when there's no sports on and I said well why not start a podcast especially now where video podcasts are becoming a lot more popular compared to just audio podcasts so I named it the quarantine chronicles because I wanted to interview athletes and I also wanted to interview sports media figures just to hear about their career and to hear about what sort of ways they're creating content and dealing with no live sports happening. It was about five days a week, the podcast going when it was in a real quarantine setup, but now with live sports coming back, it'll be once a week, but that means quality over quantity, right? So a lot more uh, meaningful conversations with guests and trying to sort of link to a relevant topic or theme that is happening right now in the world of sports. So it's been fantastic. I've had a lot of really unique guests on and looking forward to producing more of that content down the road. Yeah, definitely. It is a very serious pandemic situation out there. And I want to give my best prayer and condolences to anyone who is dealing with the virus fighting it on the front lines, and especially to some of our athletes who are putting their lives on the line to you know, continue doing what they love to contributing to their team and the fans. Thank you guys so much. But with that being said, let's go over to Isaiah to take it back to just the start of your sports media journey. Yeah. Uh, so Lucas, uh, you, you have a lot of experience in this sports media industry, whether it's podcasting and, or whether it's announcing what made you decide to go and pursue a career in sports media? Well, I grew up in a sports family, Isaiah. My dad played a lot of recreational sports. My mom was very involved with tournament operations here, Tennis Canada, our our national tennis governing body. My brother was a competitive athlete. So 
in addition to the normal childhood programming of Blue's Clues or the Teletubbies, the major sporting events would be on TV in our household. The Masters, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup Final. And while I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I didn't really fall in love with the sport and some of the athletes who I looked up to, it was also the broadcasters. Bob Cole, Joe Buck, Bob Costas, Jim Nance were the soundtracks of my childhood and many are still commentating games today. So I think that was when the love really started. I remember when I was younger, we used to play a lot of sports video games, my brother and I. We would mute the actual broadcast on TV and we would broadcast the game ourselves. So that was sort of the beginning And then, of course, life happens, and I was very interested in school and various different subjects, science, chemistry, economics, history, and I always sort of kept the sports journalism dream alive, but never really considered it to be a career until after university, when I just sort of realized, look, I mean, I was studying something different, and didn't really feel like that was my calling in life and really felt that this was my calling in life and really focused a couple years ago on building my brand in sports journalism, whether it was broadcasting, writing, social media. So that was where it all began. And I've had the pleasure of doing a lot of really cool things thus far in sports and the best is yet to come. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, great. Lucas, and it is a pleasure to have you on with Quarantine Chats, even with the name confusion a little <laughs> bit. But I do want to ask you, when it comes to, you know, the actual game of sports, everybody picks up one sport, and that kind of gets them hooked into the sports industry and sports as a whole. For me, it was really the NBA. My dad, when he first immigrated to the U.S., he watched a lot of um, Michael and just the Seattle Super Sonics getting their asses handed to the greatest of all time. And that's what kind of got them hooked into the NFL later on, and then tennis and volleyball and other sports. So for you, in terms of professional sports, what would you say was your first love, the first sport where you picked it up and you're like, man, this is cool, and I'm going to check out more of these sports? Gosh, it's tough. Because like I just said, we we grew up in a sports household where every sport I felt like was on. But I would say hockey just because it it has such a integral connection to our culture as Canadians. It's very entrenched in our identity. If you come up here to Canada, Stephen, you'll, you'll know that hockey billboards are everywhere. You see a lot of rinks because many parts of Canada, it's freezing cold. Yes, so it, hockey is, has adapted the phrase. It's more than just the game. It's our game. So I think many Canadians feel that deep connection to the sport. So that definitely resonated with me. And growing up in Toronto, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs were this huge cultural team, but we've just been defined by perpetual disappointment. We haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. But it's not just hockey. Like the Super Bowl we would watch every year and and that event, of course, while it's very American – it still resonated with me, just the grand spectacle of it all, the golf majors, the tennis grand slams. I remember my first live sporting event I went to was the Rogers cup, the Canadian tennis open and just being mesmerized by the spectacle that was live sports. So 
I would say hockey for me, just because of its connection to our country, but every sport really, and, and that love is still applied today from baseball, hockey, basketball, football, golf, and tennis, because they all tell really unique stories. And that's what I really love about being in this career. Yeah, for me, the stories in sports have always been amazing for me. I know a lot of people will say like, you know, who cares about the stories or why do we have to talk about hypotheticals and what ifs? For me, that's almost like the best part of sports to really think about alternatively, what could have happened if this play wasn't made by a certain player or if this person wasn't out? It's just amazing to analyze. And then the storylines, I mean, like Kevin Durant spurning the thunder to go to Golden State and now building his own legacy in New York. There's so many twists and turns that take place with sports. And we got to remember that these guys, um, the real players with real emotions, at the end of the day, all they want to do is be recognized by us and, and recognized by somebody out there. And that's the primary motivating factor for a lot of sports stars. But, you know, you mentioned hockey. One thing that I find really cool about hockey is that even though it's a seven game series and people always say that usually the best team wins in a seven game series, it's still filled with upsets. I mean, just uh, five years ago, you had the eighth seed LA Kings, not only coming back from 3-0 to beat our hometown Sharks, Isaiah's clutching his face a little, face palming a little. Hey, but it happened, Isaiah. They won the Stanley Cup against the New York Rangers. So that has been one thing that's always struck me about hockey, just the storylines and the upsets that you get that you, you don't necessarily get in all the other sports. Well, it just speaks to the parody of the sports, Stephen. And I would sort of equate it to football as well, just because of the turnover of the rosters and, and the draft as well plays such an important role in building your team and teams, you know, not always dominating like you see in baseball and basketball where, there's only, you know, a few teams each year that can win compared to many. And look, just last year, the Columbus Blue Jackets upset the league-leading Tampa Bay Lightning, which set a record for points generated in right. the regular season. So, and, and they swept them, the Jackets. So it just goes to show you that upsets are definitely possible in hockey. But I think you made a good point earlier just about the athletes and, and telling those stories they're human beings and the fact that they're human beings that, that have emotions like you said a lot of them can provide a lot of helpful insight especially in those big events where it's often hard to find that big story just given the amount of attention and the amount of reporters that are at a specific event and it's more to me than just who wins and who loses. A lot of these athletes have gone through these winding journeys to get to where they are to finally win a championship. So being able to tell those stories, but also the unique angles that no one else has, it's the greatest feeling being a sports journalist. Absolutely. Couldn't have put it any better, but I want to go to Isaiah about, you know, some of your most memorable moments. Yeah, so before I get into that, I was just going to respond to a couple of Lucas's points. Uh, he brought up perpetual disappointment when it came to the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just want to say I feel you, man. Like, I'm a San Jose Sharks fan. Well, 
I was a San Jose Sharks fan, but I stopped following hockey because ever since I moved to the Bay Area, the Sharks have just been giving me heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And I was just like, you know what? I just can't take it anymore. And I, I stopped following hockey. But um, I want to ask you, you know, you, you've – You've interviewed a lot of major guests like Mark Medina and Bob Nightingale, and also you covered a lot of major games as well. What is your most memorable moment in the sports media industry? Well, I'll respond to you being a Sharks fan by saying at least San Jose made the Stanley Cup final a few years ago. The Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won a playoff series since 2004. That's wow. 16 years. So... You can't you 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 can't claim that uh, perpetual disappointment title when, when when your team made a Stanley Cup final run. But I'll digress. Favorite sports moment? Look, many I've I've had the chance to cover a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, which was a really cool experience. Tom Brady's last as a New England Patriot. I spoke with Stephen off the air. I, I had the chance to cover the Final Four in Minneapolis, where the home state where he grew up in Minnesota. But I would say for me, the best sporting moment that I've covered live is, is Tiger Woods winning his 80th PGA tour event at the tour championship at East Lake. And look, everyone knows Tiger Woods, even if you're not a golf fan, you know, Tiger Woods, he, he's so charismatic and just elevates not just golf, but sports in general with what he was able to do for so many years on the golf course. But the last decade has been defined by Tiger Woods' injuries and not and whether or not he can come back to even a glimpse of what that dominant self was. And in 2017, just for context, he was at the Masters Champions Dinner and he couldn't even sit in his chair because his back was so sore and he even contemplated retirement. But then in 2018, he makes this remarkable comeback. And I had the chance before the tour championship to cover the PGA championship a couple weeks earlier and Tiger Woods nearly won that. And I think the whole golf media was believing that eventually Tiger is going to break through and win. But for me as a journalist, I was like, okay, like, it would be nice if Tiger were to win here at East Lake, but it's almost too good to be true. And then the storyline just started to build and Tiger led after the first round and led after the second round. And then 54 holes, he's the 54 hole leader. And now not just the golf world is captivated, but the whole sports world that geez, he can actually do this. So being there that Sunday in Atlanta, seeing just the buzz of the crowd there's nothing like a tiger crowd because you've heard the saying how tiger just doesn't just move the needle in golf he is the needle and you just saw on that 18th green where all the, the the fans are surrounding him and as he's walking up the fairway and just that buzz and, and that roar when he finally won it was just such a beautiful moment because, you know, I, you know, I'll be honest, like the reason why I got into golf was because of Tiger and to see him pull off this feat was pretty incredible. And then not even a year later in April, he wins the masters. So 
it was just a fairy tale ending to an incredible year for arguably the greatest golfer of all time. Yeah, no doubt. That was an incredible moment by Tiger. Later on, we're going to get into, you know, someone who could possibly create the needle in basketball. LeBron James still chasing that ghost of Chicago and Michael Jordan. But before that, I want to get into some of your interviews. What was your favorite interview that you've conducted so far? Well, I've had many great ones. You guys mentioned, of course, Mark Medina and, and Bob Nightingale and Andy McCullough, among others. But I would say it's probably one of Canada's top journalists, is Stephen Brunt. It was it was my 50th episode of the We Sports Quarantine Chronicles. And I just think for me, first of all, it was actually one of my harder interviews to get because most of the interviews that I did, you know, once you get in that rhythm, of getting more high-profile guests, it becomes a lot easier. And mainly, it's just an email, right? You know, you send an email, and given the fact that most people were at home, it was a lot easier to get guests to come on the show because there, there's not there's nothing to talk about. There's there's no live sports on the airwaves, so a lot of the guests were very kind. But Stephen is someone that I've looked up to. He, of course, worked in print media for many years here in Canada as a columnist for the Globe and Mail, one of Canada's national newspapers. But then he made the transition. He, he transitioned from the print media to TV, digital, and web. And I think he's done a really great job of being sort of the go-to journalist for some of the best video sports features that are broadcast in this country. So I just think it was a really compelling interview Stephen someone I've looked up to for a while so being able to sit down and have that conversation with him and just also seeing how someone that relied heavily on writing in newspapers could actually succeed in a more technologically digitized sports media industry so for those reasons I would say Stephen Brunt would be my favorite interview that I've done. Yeah, and you mentioned Mark Medina. Mark Medina is actually the reason why we discovered Quarantine Chronicles. We had just conducted a Mark Medina interview on that Thursday. And not just 30 minutes later, Quarantine Chronicles comes out. And I'm like, hmm, let me check this out. Isaiah actually forwarded me the Twitter link. And I was like, wow, I'm impressed by um, Lucas's professionalism. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, uh, envious of the slightly more professional name in the quarantine chronicles versus quarantine chats, but you really did a good job in all those interviews. And I, I do enjoy watching some of your, some of your interviews and being one of the fans South of the border. Thank you so much. Well, it's always great to have uh, fans uh, supporting me in the United States. I've, I think actually most of my guests have been from the U.S., so very grateful for them and, and for them to come on and share their stories. And, and I just think it's great what, what you're doing as well and what I'm doing because there's an audience for this. And that's where I think young podcasters, sometimes they get into it and they don't really understand that right away. And it sort of deters them from succeeding in building their podcast is figuring out that audience. Right. And for right. me... I'm very much someone that's very interested in sports media, listening to people in the industry, talk about their careers, talk about the trends that are happening. So I just said to myself, look, if I'm interested, 
there's definitely an audience here. So I just said, why not? Let's do it. And you weren't wrong, man. You got some audience from here in California, got some audience from Pennsylvania as well. So you've talked a lot about, you know, kind of learning how to get some of these guys onto your show, what you've learned about the sports media industry. But Lucas, overall, what have you learned about the sports media industry from all your interviews? Well, I would say a couple of things. I would say the first is that there's no linear, uniform path to break into the industry, especially now. Obviously, you have people that I've had on who've gone through journalism school, which is more of a traditional path into the industry. But then you have people like I had John Wertheim on from Sports Illustrated who went to law school and then decided that wasn't for me and then is now in sports media. You have people that were freelancers for many years and just, you know, built their their resume and their reputation that way before, let's say, getting hired by The Athletic, for example. So there's no uniform path, but this is sort of my second piece that I've learned. And it's sort of a connective theme that runs through all my guests is that, is that they have an undeniable work ethic. Not oh, many of yeah. them would like to admit that, but because they're very humble, but they just work hard. And look, sports is the toy land, if you will, of society. It doesn't feel like work. It's not like going to a nine to five job that you don't like. It's a, pl a pleasure and a privilege to be able to watch people hit golf balls or, or smack tennis balls or shoot basketball. But it is work and you, and, you, and you have to work to perfect your craft and tell the story in the best way possible. But all these people work hard and they have this an undeniable drive to find opportunities for themselves to get better and mingle with the right people. I can't stress this enough, guys. Networking, many people may not like it, but it's everything. You got to be able to network and build and harness those connections because you don't know when you may be looking for a job opportunity and a connection that you know can vouch for you to their employer or to another employer. So for those reasons, I think I've learned a lot. And I just think, again, you know, we're all interested in telling stories of sports journalists and know better to tell their own stories than sports journalists themselves. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. They're extremely hard workers and there's definitely a lot of networking involved. I've seen kind of like the normalizations of posts that you might have seen on just Instagram and Facebook five years ago. Now they're popping up on LinkedIn because building that network at all costs is just really, really important within the industry. I'd say, you know, the two biggest things I learned about sports media through all these interviews and through all these podcasts is that the people who work in the sports media industry, they're just like us. You know, they're just um, also some guy who started out with an interest in sports and just worked incredibly hard towards their goal. And the second thing is the sports media industry can be very tough. It can be somewhat of a competitive and cutthroat environment, but you got to be willing to put in that work. And you, sometimes you have to be okay with your um, pay being a little bit more unstable or lower, but it's about pushing through those hard times to become the big personality. It's big moments that create big personalities. That's what I think. 
That's a great saying, Stephen. And yes, I think that at the end of the day, there's no limit that you can put on working hard. And, and working hard, the sky's the limit. And I think for anyone that says has succeeded in this industry, they're, they're there because they have skills that can be hireable, can create an audience, can tell the really unique stories. And they're just good people. I think sometimes it's a little cliche about being nice and being professional, but that is so important in this industry. You can wean out the ones that aren't going to succeed just by the fact, you know, you look at their social media and they're just not professional or they say something that might raise alarm bells to an employer. You always want to be professional. You always want to be yourself and just show anyone that you work for, you work with, that you're willing to go the extra mile to find that really good story angle, to get that tough interview, because those skills will will serve you well when you get a job in the sports media industry. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah, just really point. the persistence of, just that theme of perseverance. Go ahead, Isaiah. No, I was just going to say, you know, we're talking about uh, hard work and stuff like that. Um, the guy that I really look up to is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This guy is on every show on that network. He is working, what, 17-hour days just to, you know, get his takes out and produce great content for the people. And he's someone that I really look up to because I want to get in that position. I want to be working at ESPN one day. Um, I, like, I always, you know, do a bunch of research and stuff like that. And I just honestly want to be him in the future. So he's, uh, like, kind of my idol in a way. Yeah, for sure. Let's go on to Trevor for his final question about the sports media segment before we get into some fun NBA topics. And Trevor, why don't you go ahead and ask him about some advice in the sports right. media industry? I know we focused on about like networking and positive attitude and, and strong work ethic through this, but what other advice would you recommend for people getting into the sports media industry and what other tips that they might need for podcasting in general? Well, I would say just in sports media in general, before I get to podcast specific, I would just say, get the reps in. I know it's difficult now, given we're in a pandemic and there's not a lot of live sports, but look, I just think that once you get the reps in guys, whether it's writing, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's building your social media presence, whether it's photography, whether it's video production, the sports media industry in this day and age, more employers are hiring people that have more skills. You can't just be a writer. You can't just be a broadcaster. You got to be a Swiss army knife, if you will, having all these skills because reporters these days, they're doing all this stuff. Like I'm covering the PGA championship next week remotely and I'm doing writing, I'm doing video, I'm doing podcasting, I'm doing social media, I'm doing reporting, broadcasting. So all those skills are now needed to be employed when you're covering a team, when you're covering a sport. So having those skills are important. I would say for podcasting, like just do it. Like whether 
It may not sound the best. Like, just get the reps out there. Build a portfolio for yourself. But if you are really interested in podcasting, though, like, you got to get a good studio setup. Like, I invested in a microphone right here, light, a backdrop, and it just makes your brand, just it just elevates your brand. And, And that's just the next step that, if you're really interested in podcasting and, and you've built a really good audience, like that's the next step to take. But I would just say for those of you like just thinking of starting to create content, just go for it. I think that's the biggest hurdle for so many people is they're like, oh, it's too difficult or I'm not interested. Like you got to go for it because once sports come back, which they are now, you there's so much more content to be made. And if you have that portfolio, it's just easier for you to send to employers. Yeah. And you know, I would add on to that is that when you do get started, you're, you're going to make mistakes sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes my guys, they come on my podcast with me and they might miss some key stats or they might, you know, stutter when they're trying to make a point and they really beat themselves over it. And, you know, I try to always tell the guys who work in my network, the MI6 sports network that, you know, whatever happens, it's, it's a learning experience. The most mm-hmm. important thing is you've jumped into it. You've taken the dive to come on to the podcast, produce this content, and you can learn from this experience and just continue to build up your portfolio and your skills. Oh, I completely agree. Like, I think reps allow you to learn. And I don't think any journalist, you know, any journalist would tell you that you have to always keep yourself fresh and updated, whether it's your podcast, whether it's your writing, you can't just stay stagnant in one style or one form. You always got to be evolving as a journalist. And the only way you can evolve is by trying, trying new things. Maybe your audience doesn't like this topic, but likes this topic or doesn't like this presentation, but prefers this presentation. So always engaging with your audience and your readership and listenership to see what they want. Because I think so many podcasters and journalists, there's a real disconnect there. Like yeah. you po- you, you publish your stuff, but you're not listening to what the people want. Exactly. And I think for a lot of young journalists, you got to be able to connect with your audience and see what they want in you and just apply and evolve. That's my biggest takeaway from that. Yeah, you kind of have to be a jock of all trades in some regards. No doubt. Unintended there. All right, Isaiah, (laughs) it looks like you had something to say about the topic as well. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, my, when I first started in this industry, the big issue that I had was, well, not, well, yeah, when I first started, the big issue I had was I was kind of scared going into it because I was like, you know, I give a lot of um, bold takes, a lot of, crazy outlandish stuff and i was worried that i was gonna get bashed on twitter or instagram or facebook and stuff or yeah and social media for my uh bold hot takes and then i met uh mark medina at oracle arena when i was working the warriors game as an usher and i you know i told him like yeah you know i really want to do this but my biggest issue that i have is uh, you know i'm kind of scared of getting uh, bash and he just told me you know just ignore it you know just ignore it and just uh put your stuff out there and the people that are out there like you know hating on you they they're just jealous of you know your your position that you're in they want to be like you and just just be yourself and 
um, just put your stuff out there. So that advice really, really helped me. And now like I'm in the, at this position. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Uh, I'm glad that Mark Medina could, you know, change so many things for us. First of all, getting Isaiah more pumped up into the podcast game and then introducing quarantine chronicles to us. So, you know, very cool stuff that happens with all these connections and networking. But with that being said, guys, let's get into a little bit of, you know, current events. And as we know, the Lakers last night were able to defeat the Clippers 103 to 101. Frantic final possession with Leonard kind of running around the floor. LeBron James, you know, steps up, puts the locks down on him. And then the Lakers have managed to hold on for a two-point victory. Lucas, what's your first reaction um, about this NBA bubble game? Well, first of all, I think the NBA coming back last night was huge. And, and, and it came back with a bang, like having two games that were decided in the closing seconds the last possession if you will like you can't ask for a better start than that and I thought that the pregame um anthem protests and just talking about Black Lives Matter and anti-black racism and, and recognizing that we can't distract from what's important going on in the world right now like basketball is, is secondary to a lot of those important discussions about anti-black racism police brutality and black lives matter so i think that to me it, it really succeeded and i just think it's just going to continue going forward and certainly the toronto raptors a, a team that i cover closely are, are, are really being leaders in that regard but in terms of the basketball like i i, I thought the basketball was better quality than i thought it was going to be like these guys haven't been playing in, in any regular season games like games that actually matter in three or four months so it's it's crazy just how good they are that they're able to just switch back into this zone where they can just play and, and, and really hustle and show some intensity out there I think the the Clippers and the Lakers are the two best teams in the West like I I'd be surprised if this isn't the Western Conference Finals that being said though like I think the Lakers are going to be slightly in trouble just because they're going to really miss Avery Bradley in a seven-game series. And, of course, the Clippers yes, will have Lou Williams and some of their bench players back. I think Kawhi Leonard is still in that regular season form. He hasn't peaked yet in what we saw last year in terms of his playoff performances. But all in all, you you can't be more happy about the NBA coming back and just coming back with a bang like it did. Yeah, I think you put it in a really good way. First of all, we got to remember that, you know, sports isn't the biggest deal in our society right now. As much as we want sports to get back, we really should be thanking, you know, the commissioners of the le these leagues, these uh, franchise players, and these owners for putting together this product for us and really, you know, putting their lives on the line to um, – do what they love and bring us this entertainment. So prayers go out to them. Obviously you had the Black Lives Matters jerseys on the back of the jerseys for the Lakers and the Clippers. So that was really nice touch. Um, I don't want to be nitpicky, but one thing I did notice when I was watching the highlights, I didn't notice it when I was watching the game live, but there was a lot of like, like knocking noise on the hardwood during the game. And 
for me, that was a little bit distracting. Other than that, though, I thought it was a great product put out. I thought they started a little slow, like, you know, rotating on defense. But for the most part, Lucas, I think that the fact that this season is cut down to eight games remaining and that there's just not been any sports, let alone basketball, for a couple months now, I think the players were antsy to get out there and put out their full effort. Whereas I think in a normal regular season situation, right, you think like eight games remaining, usually the seedings are locked out by then, most of them. And so the players are kind of going at half effort at that point. I think this situation actually made it to be a more competitive and cutthroat version of the NBA regular season. Well, for sure. And, and you look at these eight remaining games, like just take the Raptors, for example, they're only three games up on the Boston Celtics for that second seed. And that second seed's huge. It basically means that you're going to get a really easy first round matchup, which probably means it'll be a shorter series. So that means your guys will be rested for the longer, more difficult series down the road. Same with the Clippers. Like, the Clippers want to meet the Lakers in the in the Western Conference Final. They don't want to meet them somehow in the second round just because of the fact that they were not the second seed or, or not in the same or, – or drew in the same bracket as the Lakers. So these eight games are going to be important just to get your feet back, get the speed back of the game, and get the chemistry back between the players and figuring out the rotations come playoff time. But I think once the playoffs roll around, I really do think that that the intensity will ramp up, even without fans in the stands. And I think these guys are so experienced that they'll find a way to switch into that playoff gear and really put together some excellent moments. Because let's face it, guys, like the winner of this championship, they'll be remembered for years to come. And, and we yes, can talk sir. about the asterisk or no asterisk, but like the fact remains, there's going to be a champion crown barring no pandemic or COVID-19 outbreak. And this champion will, will, will live on in the annals of basketball history. I think that's just a wonderful way to wrap that up. Isaiah, let me get your thoughts. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the play yesterday before I get into the, or the play of the NBA games so far, before I get into my take on the Lakers Clippers game. Um, I thought that the game was really good. You know, coming into this game, me and uh, some other people in this podcast have, you know, we thought that, you know, uh, that the players weren't going to give full energy simply because, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers, they're already in the playoffs. So there's really nothing to gain from playing this game. So we thought that, yeah, they weren't, they weren't going to play their fullest. And uh, Frank Vogel and Doc Rivers were probably going to play their starters only like 25 minutes. And just uh, it would just be like a preseason game. But I'm glad I was wrong. And uh, if I, I've been watching the games today. And that Blazers-Grizzlies game earlier today was really, really intense. That one went down to the wire. It looked like game seven of the NBA Finals. That's how intense it was. So I'm really uh, liking what I'm seeing on the court. Um, But as for the Lakers and Clippers game, this was a fantastic game. It was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth, and it came down to the final bucket. It was very, very exciting to watch. What a great way to kick off the return of basketball. My biggest takeaway from this game is, one, if Kyle Kuzma 
plays the way he did last night every game, the Lakers will be unstoppable. Kyle Kuzma, he came into this game with an aggressive mindset looking to score the basketball. He had 16 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists. Um, He knocked down threes. He was driving into the paint and hitting floaters. And also, he played great defense down the stretch on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, which kept the Lakers afloat in that game, which let them make that run to end up winning the game. It was just an overall outstanding performance by Kyle Kuzma. He needs to play like this the rest of the season and in the playoffs. If the Lakers want to win the championship, I think he's the big X factor. And also, the Lakers, they just need to keep beating Anthony. Anthony Davis because the Clippers have no answer whatsoever for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis went beast mode on the Clippers last night. Uh, Zubach couldn't stop him. Patrick Patterson looked like a 60-year-old guarding him. Uh, I know they were missing Montrez Harrell, but heck, he even he hasn't been able to stop Anthony Davis in the other three Lakers-Clippers games. So I believe the Lakers for them to get past the Clippers, they just got to feed AD because the Clippers have no answer whatsoever for Anthony Davis. Excellent breakdown of the game, Isaiah. And I think it will come down to the role players for the yep. Lakers. Kuzma definitely stepping up in a great effort. Let's go over to Trevor. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, like this game is a great way to bring back like the magic of all the stuff that's going on in the NBA. And just like all of the excitement that we've seen, like the players coming back in the swing of it all and coming down to the wire, LeBron James catching his own rebound and putting it back or late at the beginning of the game in the third quarter where he jams it down and we get all excited from at home. He's like saying the guy's been in the league for 17 years and he can still jam it down. So it shows that being even like months off, the players are still able to put up points and keep the games interesting, even though they haven't been playing basketball for like almost three months now. So glad to see the NBA is back and can't wait for when we reach the playoffs where games get to game seven, how much harder they're actually going to go versus what we've seen in these first eight games. Yeah. So speaking of the last eight games, we are getting to the final stretch. A lot of teams have played um, their first game within the bubble. So now we got about seven games left. And the MVP race is still red hot. Obviously, LeBron winning a big game last night. Giannis still playing those Celtics. That game is in progress. But Lucas, I want to give your thoughts. Who do you think should be the MVP this year? Well, one important caveat is I believe that the MVP is going to be determined by all the games prior to the bubble. So just for your listeners, these games remaining don't necessarily impact that just in terms of the bubble and whatnot so it'll be the the games beforehand but my MVP is Giannis Antetokounmpo and I don't think it's closed at all like I think sure LeBron James has had a great year and he's doing amazing things but Giannis is just having another incredible season like his points per game is higher than last year it's 29.6 points per game his rebounds are higher 13.7 compared to 12.5 last year. And he's already starting to shoot from beyond the arc more, which is a real positive sign for Giannis making him more of a threat. And look, look guys, him in the transition, when he gets that step and no one can stop him, he just glides into the pain and goes for that slam dunk. Unlike anyone else. And the bucks have been, the best team this year. Like they had the best net rating in the NBA before the pause. 
And he's been a big part of that. So for me, Giannis is the MVP and I don't think it's close. Let's go over to Isaiah and Trevor. Trevor, you can go ahead, man. I have to agree on that. Giannis has been putting up great numbers from start to finish. LeBron James, James Harden, they're good contenders, but I think it's just Giannis has just took the game to another level. Don't get me wrong. Like when you look at other debates who are the best in the world, that's something different because they have longer careers than Giannis and Giannis doesn't have that huge dynamic playoff push because he's been upset by other great players. Like, for example, this last year against Kawhi Leonard, when he could easily won that series, he wasn't able to. So it's like it kind of hurts him in other discussions. But this year, for sure, he can definitely win league MVP for sure. Yeah, and I think this whole discussion about MVP, I totally agree with Lucas on this one. Giannis is far outpaced. LeBron this regular season and he has the earned the clear right to be MVP I don't think it's close um, I think obviously if LeBron gets some votes we shouldn't be surprised off his brand recognition and just off his ability to play key games and win those games but guys I think that this kind of crusade of LeBron getting robbed from MVP to MVP and getting robbed from these discussions is overrated and overblown I think to a certain degree, LeBron James recuses himself from MVP discussions by not putting in his full amount of effort into each regular season. Now, that's his choice, right? He doesn't want to play as hard and fast as some of these younger players like Giannis, these up-and-coming players like, um, you know, Zion Williamson in his first few games. But you can't get mad then if you're a LeBron fan or if you're LeBron James yourself if you're recused from the discussion because you're not putting putting in that same amount of full 100 mile per hour like Giannis and Westbrook and Harden in these past couple of seasons so when you look at it and it's a regular season award you you add up all the statistics LeBron is lacking in those departments he doesn't play necessarily the best defense in the regular season he doesn't necessarily put up the best all-around numbers, and that's why he's been left out of the MVP trophy, plain and simple. He's not been robbed. He has shown that through his play. I want to go to Isaiah now. All right. If I had a vote for who I, – I, yeah, if I had a vote for the MVP race, I would definitely pick my guy Devin Booker over anybody because I think he's super underrated. He's absolutely balled out this year, but obviously – Cut the joke. <laughs> that, that, that was a joke. But um, I would say it's Giannis and Tentacumpo simply because, Stephen, you mentioned it. Giannis has far outpaced LeBron while being the only superstar on his team. Like, if you look at all the players that are on the Milwaukee Bucks, they're complementary players. They're not. There's no other superstar besides Giannis and Tentacumpo. So I think that what Giannis has done is more impressive than LeBron. Like, if you guys think about it, the Bucks before the shutdown, they they were on pace for 70 wins. That's how impressive Giannis' season has been. Yeah, and I want to give you guys a quick update on the Bucks game. It has concluded. The Bucks have beaten the Celtics 119 to 112. So congrats to Giannis, which brings us to a further point. Giannis's roster is not as flashy as what LeBron has in LA. LeBron has a bona fide superstar in Anthony Davis, and Giannis has a solid supporting player slash borderline star in Chris Middleton. So obviously not comparable supporting cast. With that being said, 
the Bucs are two and a half games ahead of the Lakers in the standings. So that just shows you that, you know, when it comes down to the fact that it's a regular season award, Giannis clearly outpaces LeBron. If LeBron doesn't want to put in as much effort towards the regular season, because it's not necessarily the determining factor in the playoffs, that's his choice. But MVP discussion, we're talking about the regular season. But- hey, Steven. One caveat I want to add to that Celtics-Bucks game that you just mentioned. Jason Tatum only had five points while shooting, I believe it was like two for 18 from the field. Yeah, you know, that's how sports is. Sometimes you got to get lucky breaks on one end to win the game. But congratulations to the Bucks for opening up the NBA bubble with a win. And hopefully Tatum can get back into his groove. But that brings up another interesting discussion because I think we're all in agreement here. Giannis is the regular season MVP. No doubt he's earned it. He's deserved it. He's played better than LeBron throughout the regular season. But we know that from the previous seasons we've watched, the regular season is not the biggest determining factor for a team to win a championship. LeBron has swept the first seed Raptors as a fourth seed before. And in previous seasons, we've seen a fourth seed Celtics go to the finals against the Lakers and almost upset them. So with that being said, who is actually the best player in the world in your mind, Lucas? Wow. Uh, Look, if I were to say regular season, Giannis to me is the best in the regular season. I think we just made that clear with our MVP conversation. But to me, the best player in the world right now is Kawhi Leonard. And as much as... Look, LeBron is continuing to do amazing things at at his age. It's pretty incredible. But I just look at what Kawhi Leonard has done throughout his career. And you see him in 2014 in San Antonio. He's a young player back then on a team with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. He wins the NBA Finals MVP, beating the Miami Heat in five games. Then you look at last year and look, He comes to Toronto, and he comes to Toronto with a lot of baggage. Is this guy hurt? Is he, you know, not really telling the truth about his injury? The whole load management concept becomes part of the NBA vernacular. But all what Kawhi Leonard did last year in the playoffs was put together one of the best playoff performances in NBA history. It'll be compared to what Michael Jordan used to do for the Bulls. And you look at those games where the Raptors needed him to be that superstar. Game four, Philadelphia, the Raptors are down 2-1 in Philadelphia in that second round. Kawhi Leonard scores, I think, 39 points. He gets the game-winning bucket over Joel Embiid for three. Of course, you remember the shot in game seven that'll live in Toronto sports history forever. Game three against Milwaukee, they're down 0-2, the Raptors. Kawhi Leonard plays over 50 minutes as the Raptors win in double overtime. So I just think that not only is Kawhi a force on offense, but he's also an amazing defender, arguably one of the best defenders in the NBA. And we saw that last year in the Eastern Conference Final, being able to defend Giannis and that switch there of coverage by Nick Nurse ultimately led the Raptors to win that series and ultimately the championship. So for me, Kawhi to me has shown that his intangibles, the way he goes about his business 
as well as just his ability on the on both ends of the floor make him the best player in the world. And I think that's really respectful. You've made great points about that, Lucas. And you know what they say, to be the best, you got to beat the best. He beat the best team in the NBA, one of the best teams in NBA history. And I know they had injuries, but I've mentioned this in several previous podcasts before. Every team is going to have to get lucky breaks to win a championship. It's just not possible to win a championship when you're the one catching injuries or you're playing all these teams that are fully loaded, fully healthy, make zero mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen along the way to other teams and to your team as well during a championship run. The bottom line is, what did he do? Like you said, put up the best playoff run that we've seen in a while, won the NBA Finals MVP, and most importantly, won the NBA title. So for me, that's a very respectful pick. And I think that, you know, given the fact that he's another guy that load manages and that he has kind of self-recused himself from chasing after the MVP. It's tough to crown Giannis the best player in the world off of a regular season. And that's what I've been telling a lot of my guys is that, you know, he's not the best player in the world until he proves it in the playoffs. So I want to go to Isaiah and Trevor for their takes on who the best player on the planet is right now. Isaiah, go. Yeah. Okay. So, um, for me, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you, Lucas. I think it's LeBron James simply because of what he's done in the play, like the regular season and the playoffs. What this guy is doing at the age of 35, leading the league in assists, averaging like over 25 points a game is really, really impressive. And, you know, I just think, you know, the power, like when you have LeBron James on any team, like you could put him on the Phoenix Suns or put him on the Sacramento Kings or whatever, he will immediately lift that team to probably the Western Conference Finals or the Eastern Conference Finals. That's just how good LeBron James is. The guy led a Cleveland Cavaliers team that had Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, and um, a, a bunch of other, like, not really good players to the NBA Finals, which I thought was one of his best work of his career. For me, I don't think you can crown Giannis as the best player on the planet yet until he reaches an NBA Finals. Until he reaches an NBA Finals, then you can uh, crown Giannis. But until then, it's LeBron James all day. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Isaiah here. I think Lucas put a great point about Kawhi being the best. And certainly, if you were to put forth that argument, it's hard to argue against that. But I think the biggest thing for me right now is that LeBron James have one bad year. And as Colin Cowherd says, when you look at a player, you take out the worst year, you take out the best year. And that's kind of who that player is. And LeBron James, yeah, he didn't make the playoffs last year. But as we've seen through even the regular season this year and through key regular season games where he's truly wanted to win, like the Clippers games, the Bucks games, he stepped up. He has played with a new level of energy. And I think part of it is missing out on the, those playoffs in 2019. It's given him extra time to recuperate, re- recruit Davis over to LA and really build a winning squad and given his full effort that we haven't seen before. So I think LeBron James, you know, he's been doubted constantly. There's, there's been so many years where we've said, you know, Steph Curry is now the best. Durant's now the best, or Westbrook's now the best. And and now we're saying Kawhi or Giannis. But until one of these guys proves it head-to-head against LeBron in the playoffs, I'd be remiss 
to count LeBron out so early? Trevor. As I look at trying to define who's the best in the world, there's a lot of factors you put into it. Because look at Kawhi Leonard, for example. He was put into a system that was already great. So he was just like an added piece with Popovich, a great coach, fantastic instant Hall of Famer. But if you took him out of that system, is he really that good out of that? Yes, you could say in Toronto he was lucky, but he had that system carried over the skills he learned with the with the Spurs. So that was there. But if you put in LeBron James in that aspect, he was a superstar in Cleveland. He took them to a finals. It wasn't the best team in the world. Though he lost to the Spurs, he started developing as a player, grew and matured, and basically became the floor general. And you end up seeing that in the Miami Heat, learning how to play with a superstar team. Though they lose to the Dallas Mavericks, that hurt his career, but they got back to the finals that very next year and destroyed OKC. And then you had the whole Spurs saga, and it was just like duking out back and forth between one of the best players on the planet at his time. Like you could say that was LeBron James's prime against a very elite Spurs squad against Kawhi Leonard. So you could see all that developing. And when he came back to Cleveland facing the Golden State Warriors with some help, it just showed that LeBron just kept taking to the next layer each time he got into the playoffs. We even seen when he had a mask on his face, so mask LeBron, and had those stats out of the scene and got people to be like, mask LeBron is off the charts. So it's just like the the way LeBron James carries himself in the postseason and coming up in those clutch moments. I think that kind of separates him from the rest of the pack in some cases. Absolutely. And, you know, before I move on to closing, I want to know anyone got any final thoughts on this topic? Well, I'll just respond because I was the only one that, that, that went veered off the board from picking LeBron. Look, like there's no denying that his career – is going to be better than Kawhi Leonard's. Like he's definitely one of the best players of this era. But I think the points that you guys all make are bringing up the past with LeBron. LeBron's mm-hmm. not the same player anymore, right? So, and and you know, I would argue that you know, again, like I think this team that the Lakers have now, like I think he's very lucky at this point in his career to have an Anthony Davis where he could just let Anthony Davis dominate inside and get more points than LeBron, whereas LeBron could be more of a facilitator. So, look, LeBron's still a great player at his age, and what he's doing is incredible. But I don't know. You know, I think – the I really do think that the Western Conference final, if it is Lakers-Clippers, might be a pre – might be sort of like a determination at the moment of who is the better player. And if LeBron can show up more than Kawhi in that series, you got to give the edge to LeBron there. But look, I just think that Kawhi, I get your point, Trevor, about the whole system thing. It's definitely valid. But like Kawhi rejuvenated his career last year. Mm -hmm. When he came to Toronto, his career, many people thought that, you know, who is this guy that only played in just nine games for San Antonio? Is he going to get back to that level again? And I think with, a supporting cast that certainly proved itself by the NBA finals. It wasn't proven before that, especially in the playoffs. Look, look, the Raptors couldn't get past LeBron for many years there in the Eastern conference. So that's why I throw in Kawhi, but just in terms of a career overall, LeBron for sure is so much better. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point, you know, are we relying on the history to determine the best right now? Obviously not. So I know a lot of the points they brought 
where he's kind of like looking at the past. But as I look currently, I think the reason why LeBron James is the best player in the world, and he showed it last night, is because he can win the game in so many different ways. He doesn't have to be the leading scorer over team. He doesn't have to be the leading passer. He doesn't have to be the best defender in a certain game. He could be strong in defense, strong in passing, or strong in scoring to win a key game. So the different ways that LeBron can effectively impact the game and lead his team to victory is why I give him the edge over Kawhi Leonard. It's kind of like when you look at, look at Kobe Bryant, right? He's a great scorer, right? And definitely a great defender. But why was Kobe Bryant for much of his career not regarded as the best player in the world? Why was, you know, LeBron James um, hailed as ahead of him? It's because of the different ways that he can win the game. Great point. Great point. All right, so with that being said, um, we're going to wrap it up here at Quarantine Chats. It was a pleasure for you to join us, Lucas. Um, you guys can check out Lucas on Spotify, on YouTube, and Twitter. I've attached his links. And I just want to leave it to you, Lucas. Any final thoughts? Well, it was a pleasure to be on your show, guys. Keep up the great work you are doing. Enjoy sports returning. And hoping I can come back on later down the road. Absolutely. And uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, we now have our website up on Wix via Martin Garcia. Want to shout him out. And you guys can check that out. It has all our podcasts, all our links down below. But with that being said, thank you very much for joining us, Lucas. And I want to wish a happy Friday to you up there in Canada. Thank you very much. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up with some outro music. Enjoy your Friday, everyone. And have a good week. Have a good night, everybody. Weekend. More fucking hits than a disciplined child. So when they see me, everybody barack, barracks, man. I'm like a young gun, fully black, barack. I try to drop so with a massive attack. I only make hits like I work with a racket and back. Look at my jacket and hat. So down berserk, so down to earth. I'm bringing gravity back. I got by the major. I want my family back. People work hard just to get all their salary tax. Look, I'm just a writer from the ghetto like Mallory Black. Man, where the hell's all the sanity at? Damn, I used to be the kid that no one cared about. That's why you have to keep screaming till they hear you out.